0: What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. Today we have on the Toronto Blue Jays minor league hitting coordinator, Hunter Mintz. Hunter was born in Liberty, Missouri, and went on to attend the University of Missouri. After three years at the University of Missouri, he was drafted in the 17th round by the Florida Marlins. So after his playing career, he went back to Missouri and served several roles, including an undergrad and graduate volunteer assistant coach and color commentator on the team's radio broadcasts. He then made the jump back to pro ball with the Padres for one season, and then the Blue Jays as the AA hitting coach, and now as the hitting coordinator. On the show, we discuss what the process of making changes with players looks like, we go over the process of experimentation coupled with communication, and we discuss his role as a coordinator, which essentially coaches coaches. You're going to love this episode with hunter mints hunter welcome to the show
1: i appreciate you having me Jonathan.
0: definitely definitely and we're spending some coffee with with hunter this morning and uh, we've got uh we've got you on the mic and and I, i'm really excited to get to dig into not only you but what you you guys are doing as an organization that you can share with us and Uh, For our listeners who want to get to know you a little bit better, like I do, can you give us a short snapshot of your baseball background and why you decided to hop into coaching?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm originally from Liberty, Missouri, which is a little suburb outside of Kansas City. Um, I went to the University of Missouri, played there for three years Um, after my junior year got drafted and I ended up playing in the Marlins organization for about five years. Uh, Once I got done, kind of towards the end of my career, I kind of had this idea that, well, I still had a couple years of school left. So I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I thought coaching was where I wanted to take it. So I ended up going back to Missouri as an undergraduate assistant. Um, And for two years, my first two years back, I was an undergraduate assistant. So I would work with guys during the season or during the week. And then during the weekends when games would go on, I would go up in the. Um, the booth and be a color commentator on the radio which was an unbelievable experience and then um, the two years after that then I hung on and I was a graduate assistant got my master's in counseling psychology with nemesis in sports psychology during that same time coaching still and then still doing some radio and then my final two years I was at Missouri ended up being a a full-time assistant so then ended up recruiting still doing the hitting stuff Um, got out of the booth obviously but uh, much more ingrained into into coaching then. And, and I realized then that it was something I really wanted to do. Um, and then made the jump to professional baseball with the Padres for one year in 2017. I was a short season hitting coach in Tri-Cities, Washington in, in Pasco and did that for a year. And then um, Blue Jays called. I took a job with them as a double A hitting coach in 2018. And it was it was a really awesome introduction to Double A baseball and to the Blue Jays. I, I show up the first day of of spring training and, and in our group we have Vladdy Jr. We have Bo Bichette. We have Lourdes Gurriel. We have Kevin Beasley. We have the <laughs> absolute bad. dudes. And it, it was it was a really fun year. We ended up winning the championship that year, and then um, spent that year in in New Hampshire. And then the next year we had our hitting coordinator got bumped up to the big league job and um, they interviewed me for that job and so in 2019 started 2019 was my first year as a hitting coordinator and then this year will be my second year but to get to your question of, of kind of what got me into coaching I, I think like um, I think there's a couple pieces I think the things that I really failed with as a player um, and what I really struggled with and um, what I felt like I could have helped myself with or, or simple things like that is, is part of the reason and and then I think too just like the passion that I have for hitting, the passion that I have for coaching and the passion I have for being around players and, and helping people to get better um, I, I, I think I've got that from my mom my mom's brilliant and tremendous and being able to help and she's kind of um, taken me under her wing when it comes to developing and coaching so um, that's kind of given me the love and the passion for it. And, and it's a job that never feels like a job, but it's something that I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed. So
0: well, That's wonderful to hear. And, and it's something that, man, it's, it's tough right now because I, I feel the same way. I'm like, man, I got into it for building relationships. And, and for me, it's, it, I was basically, you know, besides a couple of mini camps, three weeks on the job. And then it's like, okay, well, now we've got to, got to try and conduct those over zoom calls, which, you know, obviously we're, we're pretty blessed to be able to do that. But at the same time, I'm like, man, I I miss the face to face interaction for sure. But for, for your transition from a, from a hitting coach into a coordinator role now for our listeners who are, who are curious what the difference is. And for me, I've explained this a couple of times and I think it's, it's you go from coaching players to now you're using the organizational philosophies and coaching the coaches how to coach the players or at least pr- helping them uh, in, in the best way possible and then and, and helping them, especially new coaches, uh, to, to understand what is important to you guys as an organization and different things like that. So basically, I think you go from coaching yep. coaches to coaching players. And so what are some different challenges that that you have and you know how obviously how have you taken those head-on
1: so it's that's a great question i think you explained uh kind of what the job entails perfectly but i think when i when i first got into this job um it was really challenging for me for the first uh really like the first four or five months and I think the biggest challenge was I was so used to working with players and the coaching that I had done would, it was always with, you know, like mid twenties to lower age kids. And it was always fun. And it was in the cage and grinding with guys every single day. And you had your team of guys. And, And when I first got the coordinator role, I was still looking at it as kind of being that way. And Until I realized that that wasn't it at all. That wasn't what the coordinator position entailed. I really struggled with it because I wanted so badly to get in the cage and get with guys. And because it was something that I felt like I did a really good job of and what I really enjoyed doing. So I would get to an affiliate, go to an affiliate. And I had to like take a step back because I wanted to get in the cage so bad. But I also remembered that feeling of one as a player, but then as a coach, too when a coordinator would come in town and and how tense everybody would, would become, whether it's the coach or the players. And I would watch how the coordinator would step in and come into the cage and start working with guys. And it would take guys down the wrong path sometimes. And it always felt like there was lack of communication from the coordinator to the coach to where when they came in, they would start working on something that was completely different than what the coach had been working on with the player. And it would take like two weeks after the coordinator left, because they're only there for four or five days. And it would take like two weeks before the player would get back to doing what they had been doing before. So I didn't want to experience that. And I didn't want to be on that side of it. So then I started thinking, I was like, you know, there's a cool opportunity here. When I started to see it differently, that we have this group of coaches, we've got our, our basically like eight, nine hitting coaches that we have from the very top to the very bottom. And and we have a great opportunity, I can look at it differently now. Instead of having a group of hitters, I have this group of coaches that we get to work with, and we get to be our own team, and we get to build something up together. Um, and it's, it was really nice, too, because I had a great relationship. I still do have a great relationship with Guillermo Martinez, who was our hitting coordinator before, who's now the big league hitting coach. And we kind of had the same beliefs um, and the same ideas. So that transition made it a lot more smooth. And then once I started to kind of think about it, um, is, is from more of a 30,000 foot view instead of being right in it. Like I had always been used to, um, and then just building and thinking about how we, as the coaches could help build something up and we could build, um, our hitting program all together. And once we kind of started doing that and having that mindset and, and I had to start thinking, I was like, man, I, if I'm drawing out this, this pie graph, um, talking to and working with coaches is probably 95% of what I'm doing. That other small 5% is working with players. And at first, when I started to think about, it, I was like, man, that really sucks. I, I really enjoy working with players. But when I started thinking about, it, I was like, working with coaches is the same thing. It's just different sorts of people, different types of people that want different things too. And we can have an extreme impact on the players if we do it the right way. But there was always times where I was like, I feel like I could step in the cage and, and do something we could help and we could do things, but it was always trying to go through the coach um, and the coach and I working together to try and help out the player. And I found that that was kind of the best model to do it because I, th- I think then my, my ideas as coaching players was always trying to empower the players as much as possible and help them to kind of have that feeling of figuring things out on their own. I've taken the same approach now with the coaches as is helping them to figure stuff out on their own to where they can then be empowered and they can feel like they have the power to do the things they want to do with players. Um, so that's the first piece. And then, and I think the second piece too is what you talked about with having the organizational philosophies and principles that we do within the organization and, and then just having everybody work together within that same kind of cog and mindset to, um, help filter that through the organization. So, um, and i think too that's it's creating the culture and creating the environment and building the relationships with everybody and building up the team the way that we expect the same things out of our coaches at their own affiliate levels too so it's a fun job it's it's i'm mm-hmm. telling you like for the first like 3 months 4 months i was like man i don't know if i really like this but then when i started to see the challenges as a different challenge and and not as being a hitting coach then i started to really learn and really love different aspects of it
0: Right, right. Yeah. That, and that's it's it, sometimes it's tough to critique your peers too a little bit or at least like going from someone that's working with all of those guys to someone who, who they're you, now you're now you're their their boss in a sense. Right. And and so that's that's always an interesting dynamic. And so I loved hearing you working through those different things. And, and I loved getting to hear that just some of the some again, some of the challenges that you faced it and what you've done with them, because I, I think that for the most part, a lot of people go through those, which is really, really cool. And so one of the biggest, biggest parts uh, of your job is communication, because, again, you're not you're not necessarily working with players every single day. And so I I think that that being a a, being a a coordinator involves a ton of communication with not only the coaches, but with the players. But is that something that you really try and focus on? And then if, if you do, what are some different ways that that you found to to do that well?
1: It's a, it's a great question. And I think the relationship communication piece is probably the biggest piece. Um, and it reminds me a little bit of when I was at Missouri and I, I was recruiting um, and how much you're on the phone and how much you're talking to people and trying to get information on different players around the country and talking to their coaches and talking to other coaches to get leads on other players and just how busy you are on the phone. And, and that's kind of how this job has been, too. And, and I really enjoy it because. Um, we try um, as much as we can, um, even during the season to have Zoom calls. Um, we try as much as we can to have um, just meetups so that we're as an organization all kind of starting to speak the same language or talk the same language so that it makes sense to all of us when we're having conversations. So mm-hmm. we have the group conversations as much as possible. And then during the season, like during spring training is, is, and this is a whole different challenge too, But during spring training, you're around each other all the time, right? So the conversations that we get to have and how we communicate are so easy. And in a normal job where people are in the same building and you're managing a bunch of people that are in the same building, the language and the philosophies, they all just kind of start to blend together. Just the drip drip process because you're always around each other. You're having these conversations. It's natural. And, and it's easy for us during spring training. And it's easy for us at the end of the year when we have instructs, but during the season, it's, it's way more challenging obviously to do that because nobody ever sees each other after spring training ends, it cuts off and boom, everybody goes their separate ways. And our AAA hitting coach Corey Hart might not ever see our DSL hitting coach Peter for the next seven months. Um, So we try as much as we can to help still build those conversations so that we can create a learning environment from top to bottom. Um, But then on the other hand, too, it's like I I'm still in contact with those guys. Um, Shoot, I at least there's some sort of touch point, at least every other day with all of them. Um, and it's not always about players either. And and really the small parts are about players. It's usually just having conversations to see how guys are doing. Um, see if there's anything that they need, seeing if there's anything that we're lacking or we're missing or where we can start to fill the gaps and fill the holes. And, um, I think that's probably the biggest piece. And then there's even the communication piece that's above me too. So we have our farm director, we've got a GM, we've got a big league hitting coach. We've got all the people that are above me that, I'm communicating with and then trying to filter things to get those things to the coaches to then get things to the players too. It's, it's this, this is cool trickle down effect, but there is, there's constant communication. Um, and during these, during this, this quarantine time, it's um, we've, it's been really fun and really cool for all of us to kind of step back and look at some of the things that we needed to accomplish and needed to get done um, as a group that probably don't get done whenever we start playing games. So, There've been some things that we've been able to do that have that have been fun projects for all of us, um, and it's created and helped build the relationships between all the hitting coaches and and myself included, and and some of the other people within the organization that come in on some of those calls.
0: Oh, really cool, really cool. And and so, okay, so l- let's run through a hypothetical situation, and we're, we're again we're we're talking about communication and the players that you get to work with every single day are professional baseball players and uh, obviously they're getting paid and obviously they're some of the best in the world but as you know they also have some things that they need to work on every single day and sometimes they may not want to do those things so walk us through a what a conversation would look like let's let's say that you have the the hitting coach's blessing because you you've obviously you you said that you want to go through the hitting coach first, but you guys have talked about it, and you're working with you know player X, and and you want you're wanting him to make a, just a swing change, or maybe you're working through um, some data and you notice that he's doing this a lot, and you think that that is caused in part by a swing change. And so, what does that conversation look like? And and I don't I don't mean to sound disingenuous when we say we have to sell the player on it. But I really think that we have to sell the player on it. Like we have to yeah. get buy-in from him to actually make the change that we think, and that we've used evidence to try and and back up. And and we're we really think that this could maybe, you know, help him throughout his career. So it, it's a tough conversation, I think, and and it's one that you would have to prepare for. But what does that conversation look like for you, and and how do you approach it?
1: It's, it's they're really tough conversations, and I think you touched on it. But these these guys within the organization aren't choosing us, um, so it's not like the independent contracting hitting coach that's in the off season to where these guys choose to go to them, um, and they're way more open. So I mean, I've I've listened to many many of shows that you've had, and and the relationship piece always comes up, um, and that's a huge piece of it, and it's a huge part of it, and so to be able to start that conversation, it's it's including the hitting coach as much as possible because they probably have the best relationship with them. Um, and so it's from that it's learning how to speak to that player, how to talk to that player, how to ask them the right questions to get them to where we want to get them to. Um, but then there also has to be this this time of. of well, maybe we are doing something that isn't very good within the swing and it absolutely has to be changed. Otherwise we're mm-hmm. not going to be able to get to the next level where we want to get to. Sure. Um, and I, I really think that people will knock analytics and knock numbers all the time um, and say the game's changing, but if they're used right, there's an extreme advantage that you can have to create the buy-in for the players. Um, and that's what we found the most is like, um, I'll give you an example of, of this kind of conversation that happened a couple of years ago is, um, it was, it was a guy that I had and his chase rates, like you could see it just by watching the game. Like he would just swing at everything. Right. And, um, before even looking at numbers, you would just as a general fan, you'd be like, man, he just, he swings at everything. It's like a ball that's two, two balls above the plate or above the strike zone. He's swinging at two balls below the strike zone. He's swinging at, Inside, outside, off the plate, he's swinging everything. Um, and you look at it, look at him, and you're like, Yeah, that makes sense. And then, so then it's like, Okay, how can we then get to this guy to help him to understand it? Because, hard headed dude who, unless you're presenting some like legitimate facts to him, um, and you don't have a relationship built up with him, he's not going to listen to anything that you have to say. So, Um, through conversations that him and I had had in the past and that I had learned of with the coach, it was like, he wanted to be like this best player in the world, best player that ever played. Um, So what we ended up doing is we ended up looking at just like his chase rate. And we have a swing decision metric too, and and looking at the swing decisions and and how he was doing in, in terms of that related to everybody else within the league. And sure enough, he was like in the, 95th percentile of chases right so only five guys in the league were chasing more than he was and so that didn't make that wasn't going to make sense to him because if you show him that because he was still doing okay um but the obvious end goal was he needed to chase less otherwise he wasn't going to be able to get to the big leagues and be successful so what we're able to do then is we're able to track back um a couple years earlier and look at All the guys that had had chase rates and and swing decisions that were similar to his when he when they were in Double A, so we pull up this list um, of all the hitters in Double A from a couple years ago and kind of show him where he stacked up, and we kind of look at the list and there's a bunch of names that are kind of at his level, or maybe a little bit below or a little bit above, and I said, all right, do you recognize these names on this list? Are there guys that you look up to or you think are really good big leaguers and he's looking he's like I don't I don't recognize any of these names I said okay there's a reason why you don't recognize these these names because these guys haven't had the opportunity because they chase so much they've never gotten the opportunity to get to the big leagues and be super successful they might have a little bit of success here if you look at some of their numbers they had some success here but the long-term goal of us being the best player in the big leagues we're gonna have to make changes because these guys don't get to that point to where they're really successful big leaguers if they continue to chase the same way that they do these guys they you're gonna have to make changes and so from that point on it was like this light bulb moment in his head that was like oh damn i am having a little bit of success right now but my goal isn't to be the best double a player in the world my goal is to be the best big league player in the world so if i need to make changes now it's like i why Why wait until I get to the big leagues and then I'm on the big stage and I'm trying to make changes then? Why not do it now where I'm in double A where I can make some of these changes to where when I get to the big leagues, I've already known how to do it? And sure enough, like, the conversation was kind of this light bulb moment. He ends up, like, for the rest of the year, I think like the whole second half, lowered his chase rate by, like, 7%, which is a huge deal. And sure enough, it was, it was us then having the conversation of, of – it wasn't a swing thing and that was part of it too is like I think when we were looking at the chase it was was it more of a mentality approach or mechanical thing that was making him chase and the cool part was it had nothing to do with the mechanical part it was a quick efficient swing it was just his mentality of an approach of thinking that he could handle everything so then we break it down and, and we just start building up and formulating a plan and Um, changing his ideas of what he could do before two strikes. And once he did, it was light bulb clicked and, and he took off. So that's kind of one, just one cool example, I think, but um, I think that's part of it and using the numbers, if you can use the numbers and it makes sense and, and the players, and you're not overwhelming them with the numbers too. I mean, there's, there's so many numbers that they see all the time anyways. Um, So if you can dummy it down as much as possible and give them just straight hard facts as to this is how it could help. And then this is how we're going to go about the process to improve these numbers. And if you improve these numbers, it's going to improve your overall numbers, then they're bought in and they're all in the process with
0: you. I love that. And, and again, I, I love getting to hear your process on, on how you do that, because I think that that's, there's a lot of value in drills and there's a lot of value in theory. And then there's another, completely separate value in how, how do we apply and execute? And so getting to hear that and getting to hear you work through that problem, especially with the player, I loved hearing that aspect too, because you involved him. And I think whenever you're involving players, you're getting, you're going to get more buy-in than just if you, again, you're in a, you're in a higher up role and you could have told him that he had to make these changes, but is he actually going to get buy-in from that? And and I, yeah, to sure. me, I don't think so. I mean, maybe a little bit, but by you taking that extra time to do your homework and by going to him and asking him what he thought. And especially whenever you asked him, what do you want to be? Like, do you, do you, cause there's some guys who are like, I just, I just want to feed my family. Right. And then, there, then like, like you said with him, he wants to be one of the best in the world, which is awesome. And so now you can coach him based on that. And you can say from now on, now you can go to that player and say, Hey, is this, is this, you told me on, you know, May 14th, 2020, you wanted to be one of the best in the world. Are you, are you really training like you're one of the best in the world right now? It, it just as a little added form of motivation and that's really cool. Uh, but well, let, let me, that's, let, me that's a really... let me add a little bit to this too. Sure. So, and I love,
1: I love how you said that because I, I think um, it's kind of our model, I think within the Blue Jays and, and kind of how we help talk to players and, and the process is, is, we try and include the players as much as possible, um, and and I think through that it it helps them to be a little bit more bought into the process as well, um, because exactly what you said if if you do tell them and and it, it's it's kind of the old school way of doing it is tell them tell them tell them tell them tell them, tell them and eventually they're going to do it that's not so much the case anymore. And there's so much more access to information that players have, whether it's through Twitter or Instagram or podcast or whatever it is. And they already have their own coaches back home too. So if you try and force that process on them without involving them in the process, you're asking for failure. And you're asking for to create a divide then between the players and the coaches as well. And as soon as you do that, mm-hmm. it's, there's no more of a working relationship and it's, it's a dictatorship, which is what they don't want. And we want them to be so accountable to their own careers. And I think asking them to be accountable to their own careers, if, if the action doesn't follow that and we aren't helping to put them in in the process with us, then we're not doing our jobs very well either. So and, and there's two like like within that example that I gave, like if I gave him and if I told him that and we talked about it at two weeks into the season, He's going to look at me like, man, you don't know me. You don't really know what I've done. You don't know. You haven't seen me enough. But right. giving it to him and us talking about it four weeks in or four months in, um, he's more bought in because he knows that I I do have his best interest at heart. We are working together and trying to figure this thing out. And he knows because of all the time that I've spent with him and because of the time the coach has spent with him, they have this clear idea as to, okay, this is really they're truly genuinely trying to help me here. Um, And then when you just like what you said, when you use their words, um, when you use their motivations to help them and help frame what it is that they want to do, then you really got them. Um, And that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of building up the relationship and it takes a lot of listening too, and and kind of remembering those and putting them in the back of your mind to where he just gave me a really, really key thing that he said right there and I might not use it right now, but in two months when he's struggling or when we're wanting to, do, wanting to do something else, then I can take that little nugget back out and we can talk about it and we can start to dissect some of that, that stuff. And then the changes start to be made there. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge, huge piece and in, in involving the players. I think we try as much as we can to do it because I think it's, it's huge um, and you get a ton more buy-in and, and it's their goals. It's their stuff that they're coming up with
0: for sure for sure i love that so switching gears a little bit uh, i i want to go into and, and again I, I love that love that process and i think really getting to know their why like you mentioned you asked them and i think that for me uh, early in my career i you know i just assumed that every player just wanted to be their the best version of themselves and and that's not not necessarily the case at at any level you know and and especially on the amateur level, some of them just want to be a part of a team, and so that, that's just something to keep in mind. And a little truth nugget that, that you're dropping there that that uh, obviously that I really appreciate. But an- another thing that that we that we've got really involved in right now is we've got guys on on different parts of the world uh, with some access to some different things, and then others that are literally having to do you know swing swing prep with. Like we've got, we've got guys that are doing swing prep with with their socks because they don't have, right. and throwing it against a wall because they don't have different things. But let's say in an ideal world, I I don't know what what your thoughts are on this, but I know every player has kind of a a prep routine that they use to get ready for training or the game. Uh, what what do you what do you do with that? Do you kind of let them do their own thing, or do you guys have a have a system and and process of of you guys all do the same things, or then you individualize this part. Just kind of, let's say, before you get into a cage, what what does that process look like for you guys and the Blue Jays? And and again, just give us what you can, and if you can't, then we'll we'll roll with something else. <laughs> for sure.
1: Um, so we've we've got the, kind of the way that we do it, and in, in the way that we've experimented with it over the years, um, the last couple of years is um, we've we've come up with. Oh, let's see. Twenty different movement drills that we've we've just kind of acquired over the course of time. um, That we, as the hitting coaches, we've all just kind of put our heads together and just kind of looked through some of the things that we could possibly do, and and just started to film some of that stuff and put them on a database. And and then what we do is is we'll have a couple days to where we'll just let everybody kind of experiment with each thing, um, in these two or three movement drills a day, um, and then just try and from there, start to formulate the plan of, okay, is this something that we could do? Is this something that would work for your swing? And then what we really try and do is, this is really early on, is meet with the players individually, and and I'll sit down with the coach and the player, and, and sometimes the coach will just sit down with the player, and they'll kind of go through some of those movement drills that we've experimented with, and say, is this something that you like? Is this something that you think would help your swing? And and a lot of times you'll get, ah, I don't know. I don't know if that's really going to help. Or sometimes they'll be honest and be like, um, that's not going to work at all. Or I've tried that before. Or then you get the guys who are like, I like this. Let's let's roll with this. And so within that work, then we have our early work. Then I'm thinking of spring training. But we have our early work then. And when guys come out, you'll see um, probably about 60 to 70% of the guys do some of that prep work that we've kind of come up with. but. For us, it's never it's never a thing like we want all of you guys to do this. We want you to go in the cage and do this drill and this drill and this drill and this drill. It's it's if you want to, great. If you feel like this is going to help you and and we've kind of set the process up for you to where you understand what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it, then great, that's awesome. And if not, then that's fine too because we'll work with you and we'll figure out what it is that we can do that um, will be something that you're a little bit more invested in. So. So sure. um, we've got some some processes in, in place and and a lot of it, too, is like we have player plans for each guy, too. And we've got then on top of the player plans, we've got action plans, too, that are kind of just like, for instance, like we have if there's a guy who wants to um, work on eliminating the push within his swing. Um we'll have drills and and the coach and the player will come up with drills or different things that they can do on a daily basis to kind of do some of that stuff. So then it becomes very individualized and it becomes even more individualized and they get a lot more deeper with it once the year starts and each hitting coach has their 12, 13 hitters as opposed to us just really during spring training, just trying to prepare for the year. But so it all builds up to that time during the season to where they do have a little bit more of that time. And then, and then I think it's, it's us working with the S and C coaches, the medical guys to be able to figure out what are some of the deficiencies that they have within their swing um, or within their bodies and their movements or the way that they can or can't move. And then us talking to them about what we see is being the issue with the swing. And if we can match some of that stuff up and do some prep that um, the guys can do before they even get in the cage. So, I think it's still something that's an evolving process for us, too. I think we've gotten a lot better at it over the last year. Um, But a big part of it, too, was just involving as many people as possible and kind of creating a common language, too. Once we created a common language as to how we talked about the swing or the movements of the swing, it -hmm. became a lot easier, too, because then we were all on the same page with how we were speaking about it instead of having to spend 45 minutes talking about one thing that... Everybody kind of has an idea, but everybody's not quite sure of. But now sure. we, we've at least we've at least come up with parts of the swing that we understand and we have a clue of. To where when we're having the conversations, they're a lot more streamlined. So to answer your question, we do no, I, we do have totally. some stuff, but it's 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 never things that are like you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. It's it's more of a grab bag of these are the different things. This is why you would do this one. This is why you would do this one. Here's what we see with your swing. What do you think about this? How do you think this would play? And then guys, kind of grabbing some of that stuff. And you'll see, like we have A guys that'll do it. You got big league guys that'll do some of the stuff that they've done throughout the years too.
0: No, perfect. I love that answer. And again, it's you know I've had some conversations with with some guys lately uh, for skill acquisition and, and representative design, and and you know they they're anti T. Uh, some of them. Or at least for, to some degree, and, and I and I get that too, uh, to a representative standpoint too. But I mean, it's 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 just like anything else. It if it helps the player, and and we know that it helps player X. Like you watch Pujols and and Nelly Cruz, and they're literally like chopping straight down on the ball. But then you look at the end result, and you're like, oh, those guys are pretty freaking good. And so yeah. it, it's 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 really interesting to see that. And then you see like the 12 year old kid who's got a terrible swing and he does that. And you're like, oh, God, no, like that don't, you know, and it's just, you know, cringeworthy moments. But another thing that I'm interested in just because, again, let's approach this kind of like the draft. So you've got some guys that you really like. And, and then let's say that that there's one that that is really, really good. Like there's a hitter that you really like, but you see that there's one or two things in his swing that need to be cleaned up. And for our amateur coaches, this could be, let's say you're bringing in a recruit or let's say you're a you're a high school coach and you're you're bringing up your player from, you know, from eighth grade and now he's coming to high school or even JV to varsity. So you've got some some things that you notice right away that you're like, "Ah, I don't I don't think that's going to work. Right. Yeah. So what is what does that conversation look like? Because again, this is the time of year that that we're getting into. Do you make changes right away or do you cause this is this is let me work through this a little bit with you. This is the 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 double edged sword, right? You want to see if it actually does work because there are some really ugly swings in the big leagues who get really great results but you also don't want them to fail for two years, but you want to also want to get buy-in. So there's all of these different dynamics that are at work. Yep. So again, long story short, what, what's your process there?
1: That's, this is a great question. And I'm, I'm glad you asked it because <clears throat> it's something that we're, I've actually been in close contact now that we've, we're not playing the games, obviously that um, with our scouting department and preparing for the upcoming draft and, and, um, us as a hitting department breaking down some of the swings that we see with some of these amateur guys and then from there it's it's we've been looking at them and saying um, with this swing um, there's something that's within this swing that we think isn't going to play or it's going to play or we're not quite sure and then what we've started to do is we started to look at some of these swings and we've started to then as a hitting department look and say okay this is something that this guy does in the swing that we don't see too many guys in the big leagues do, or even at the upper levels do. Okay. So that's going to be something that he's going to have to change. Okay. So now mm-hmm. if we're thinking of having this guy requiring this guy on a level of how possible is it to change, whether it's really easy to change, it's, eh, we could change it, but it's going to take some time to then this is a really easy thing to change. Then we start looking at those sort of things, um, and then from there, it's like we we as then as a as a unit then as as hitting coaches have then all started to look at those sort of things, and then um, and then we start to then filter through what it is we like about swings and what it is we don't like about swings. What's hard and what's what's not hard, um, and so then when we get guys in the organization, so that's the the recruiting part of it uh the draft part of it it's completely separate but then when we get those guys um it's so it's so much easier right like you see this all the time you, you you watch a guy swing and you're like oh man just change this you you change that <laughs> right. you'll be yeah. you'll be so darn good and and before you have a conversation with them or or any of that stuff happens it seems so easy and then you get into a cage with them and and them, you start to include the human element so we talk about it all the time but we want guys to be confident we want them to be self self-sufficient um, and and if we come in right away um, and we start talking to them about let's change this that that piece of confidence is just going to be shot straight down and it might it might be something that we think isn't going to play in the big leagues but we're going to at least allow this guy to continue to build up some confidence and to create some self-sufficiency as he gets in the organization and it goes back to us I think doing a really good job of asking questions and building the relationships and building the trust um, that we aren't going to go in there right away and we'll teach and we'll help them to learn a little bit more about just professional baseball in general and what that looks like and and how we can create routines and what we can do from there but um, we always talk about it as with the coaches too is like at some point if you've built up enough of a relationship and you've built up the trust enough they're going to come to you with the question of what do you think i could change or what it is what do you think it is that that i need to do a better job of and as soon as you've done that and as soon as you got to that point then boom you're open you're open you've opened up they've opened up the door for you to come through now if you come in really strong and you're saying okay you have to change this This isn't going to work this isn't going to work you've probably started to close the door a little bit. But if you go in and and you start to have that conversation about, okay, well, this is something that I think we see with your swing and let's watch some big leaguers and let's see how they do it. And let's see if what in comparison your swing looks like to theirs, who do you like to look up to? Whose swing do you think kind of compares to yours? And you start putting all that stuff together, then I think it becomes a little bit more of a doable process. And then they're a little bit more bought into it. But a lot of the changes I think that we make with guys, um, it, it comes, you got to catch them at the right time. Um, and, and, then I think a lot of the stuff that we do is, is more setup based, uh, movement based type, um, type changes than it is like, I would say overall swing changes. Um, if that makes sense, it's, it's, mm-hmm. I think Absolutely. it's, it's harder, it's harder for us as hitting coaches, especially in, in the daily grind of, of. Um, professional baseball playing as many games you do it's like you could you can try and change um, swing paths or launches or um, things like that within the swing and it's it's going to take some time and and you're going to get a lot of frustrated players so I think we try and think of it as much as we can of if we change a setup if we change a movement that they have um, within their gather is that going to change the ultimate goal of what we're trying to change in the swing. And a lot of times I think we can point back to, yes, it probably will. And those are easier changes to make. Um, but um, that process is such a long process. And I think it gets overlooked with all the, all the groundwork and the legwork that you have to do before any of that ever happens. So uh, it's something we talk about all the time with, mm-hmm. with our coaches and, and what they're able to dive into with players and include them in that process as well
0: sure and something that that i love that that our hitting coordinator Cody Atkinson says is he's like guys you might have to pare- prepare six months for a six minute conversation and it's it's so true and, and just just goes right in line with with what you're talking about too it's it's every single question that i've asked you you've had you've worked a process on how you would answer that like with a specific player and so I really do appreciate that, and and I think that that's that's uh, because it's all it's all without context, and so I think that it's really neat that you're working through all of these different situations with that, and and obviously, um, I really I really think that that you're answering those and hitting the nail on the head. But one one other, another thing that that you that you get the pleasure of doing is is helping guys use data to come up with game plans and approaches. And so when, let, let's say that, you know, obviously, again, the draft is coming up and you've got guys who you may have a high school kid who's never game planned in his life. He just, you know, see it and see it and hit it. And then you've got guys in let's say the SEC or, or the Pac-12 who, who have a really good idea of what a, a game plan is. And so how do you approach how do you approach going over game plans with those guys? And and again, I, this is something that even I'm I, that I'm really trying to dig in on. So I'd, I'd love some advice too. From from you know a coordinator position to a coach on how to make it easy for those guys. So uh, again, dive into what you can, and and if you can't, then that's perfectly fine. But just uh, any advice as far as as game planning for players, how to simplify it for them and, and help them help them to pay attention to what matters. And then I, I think that that would probably give me some advice as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I've had this conversation with our big league hitting coach um, Guillermo quite a bit. Um, and it, and it's what, what's really happened over the last couple of years is two years ago when you would have looked at scouting reports, even last year, um, they would have been so complicated and so convoluted with so much information that I watched it happen so much that players would look at the pages and look at the sheets. And two seconds later, they're throwing the sheet to the side and saying, this is too much. I have no idea what to digest. I have no idea what to take out of this and I'm going to move on and find something else. Um, so what we've almost started doing is like simplifying as much as we could, um, simplifying the process and simplifying the information that we're giving them. So, um, for instance, like we've talked about this with our meetings that we have at the very lowest levels of the minor leagues. Um, all we're doing and all the all the information that we're presenting to them at, at that point is more velocity um and then we categorize the fastball as um a quote-unquote rising fastball, a flat fastball, or a fastball that's got depth to it. So we'll categorize those guys in those three different ways. Um and then all we're trying to do is especially at the lower levels get guys to dominate fastballs and be really good at fastballs. So that's more of what we're talking about there. It's it's fastball velocity and then types of fastballs that they throw. And then from there, they've kind of got this snapshot of, okay, now I know I'm starting to figure out when, when I look at um, what this guy has in terms of how his fastball plays. Now I'm matching that up with when I go see it in the game, I'm matching it up with what I read and what it looks like for me. So then from there um, at the lower levels, then it's just simple. What other pitches does he throw? Is it a slider or curveball, change up, split, whatever. Um, and then they're game planning that way. Now, as we start to go up, as it's, as it's high A to double A, um, that starts to change a little bit. Now we're looking at a little bit more of heat maps with where they're throwing the fastballs. So they've already got this basis of how to know or what to look for with knowing what the fastball does. Now they're starting to look at um, simple zones as to where they're throwing it. And, and now they're starting to game plan and we're helping them to game plan a little bit is to does that match up with what you do well as, as a hitter? So I should probably go back a little bit too and talk about like one of the things okay. that we, that I think we try and pound into guys too is, is just be a master of yourself and know yourself better than anybody else does. And part of that process is knowing your heat map, um, where you're doing the most damage, where you're making the most contact, where you're swinging at the most, where you're swinging, and missing the most. Um, so then by that point to where they've got the high double, they've got such a good idea of that, that whenever they do see scouting reports of heat zones or heat maps as to where the pitcher's throwing it, does it match up with what they want to do? Does that Are they going to have to give a little bit or is it somebody that sprays it to where they know that I'm just sitting in my zone and I'm okay if he throws one there because eventually he'll come back in my zone? Um, so that's the part I think that's really fun there and it starts to build a little bit. Then- as we get mm-hmm. into the AAA big league level, it's, it's even more, a little bit more advanced from there. Um, but for the most part, they've, they've built up this knowledge and this knowledge base of what to pick out and what to look for when they do look at a scouting report and what words they're grabbing onto. And then they're forming their own opinions on it. Where it's like, I think when we're in college, and um, we're coaching in college, it's more of this, this process of we're game planning as a group. Um, And we have a little bit of that early on in professional baseball. But as they get older, it's their game planning for themselves as opposed to us game planning as a group. Um, And each guy kind of has this idea as to um, the type of pitches they do really well against, the type of pitches they've struggled against, why they've struggled. And then when they're looking at the scouting reports, they're trying to figure out in their own mind when we're giving them this information, when they're looking at the sheets, they're trying to figure out how that matches up to what they can do and what they can't do.
0: Great answer. Great answer. And so now let's, I'm going to flip the question on you a little bit. So now we're in the middle of a game. What does that conversation look like? So let's say Hunter, I'm I am one of your players and, and I'm like over three with three punch outs and I'm pissed. Right. And I'm yep. like, dang, what, you know, so, and I, and I come up to you and, and, you know, I, I'm walking around the dugout and I'm pissed and, and I take off my gloves and then I come up to you and I'm, and the, this is the question I think that we always get and it's, Hey, what do you got? like what what do you see yeah. you know and, and immediately i think players go to mechanics right because obviously that's that's the cure all be all that everybody thinks is the problem but let's again this is so context dependent and so I, I appreciate you you me throwing these questions at you and you working through them so well but what do what do in game and dugout conversations look like for you and and what have you found to be kind of the right way to gear the conversation towards something that's helpful versus them queuing themselves up at the plate and, and, and not being successful at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's a tremendous question. I think it gets overlooked quite a bit. So let me, let me backtrack a little bit to explain partly why I love the job that I have now is I get to go to each affiliate and watch how each hitting coach gets to coach. And it's oh, something God. that you hardly ever got to do, right? As as a hitting coach, I never got to see how other guys did it. Um, you could see kind of across the way and kind of watch what the other hitting coach is doing and and ask questions, but you never get to see a coach in the moment and see what they're doing. And our double A hitting coach that we have now, his name's Matt Young. He's in um, high A last year, and um, getting to see him and see this in action every single day with how he worked with players during the game. Um, is one of the best I've ever seen at it. And we've talked about it a lot as a group, but these sorts of conversations and how to have these sorts of conversations. And the thing that I've learned from him and and that he's really good at is, it's such a simple little thought and it's a nugget. And it's um, that one guy that comes up to you and you've got this relationship, you know everything about this guy. And he asks you and he's like, man, what what do you got for me? Like, what is going on? And it's this one little nugget. It's it's this one thing that gets him back going. And a lot of times it has nothing to do, right, with the pitcher that they're facing or anything like that. It's just this one little cue, this one little nugget. And he's so good at it because there's never more than one thing that he says. It gets them back to this good feeling that they had whenever they were going really well. And I think those conversations um, start with and end with knowing what it was when they were going really well, that one word, that one cue, whatever it was to get them back going. And you say it back at that point when they're really struggling in the heat of the battle. And it's this one thing that gets them going. And to me, that's, that's like the art of coaching is knowing that word or knowing that phrase or whatever it is with each of your individual guys that you can throw at them in those sorts of situations. And, and 95% of the time, it's the same stuff that works every single time. And it's just a Mm -hmm. little reminder that helps them to kind of take a step back and remember what it is that they're feeling or what is it they're doing when they're really struggling. And I think the other part of it too, is just, is how it's presented as the coach, right? It's like we had a guy a couple of years ago when I was coaching in double A and he wanted to ask all sorts of questions. He always asked him at the wrong times too, like right in the middle of the game. And he's wanting to have conversations with you about his swing and everything. And um, so we came up with this, this thing to where his whole idea was he wanted, he wanted to hit a ball over the center fielder's head. And, and we figured out over the course of time that why it worked so well for him was, um, hitting a ball over the center fielder's head allowed him to, one, have some intent to the swing because he had to hit it over somebody's head. Two, it had to get the pitcher kind of in the middle of the plate um, because getting the middle of the plate then allowed him to get a ball over the center fielder's head. And then the third part of it is it gave him direction with the swing so he could work a little bit more up the middle and he wouldn't run out of barrel. Um, so there were three parts to it. So instead, and we learned this over the course of time, so it always got him right and instead of what he would want at the start of the year is he would want something that he'd be like, man, what do you got from like what is going on and what he was always trying to get out of you was for you to break down the pitch selection to break down his intent to break down the swing and I was like man if I tell you like okay I want you to go up there and I want you to think of getting a ball in the middle of the plate and I want you to think of swinging and hitting it really hard and i want you to keep this direction towards the middle of the field i want you to drive it to the big part because you'll be able to hit an extra base hit or whatever and that's what we need for your swing if we tell him that or if we tell him hey just hit a ball over the center fielder's head there's two ways of doing it and there's two ways of presenting it to him one of them he's going to walk to the plate like oh man i've got i've now got five thoughts Mm -hmm. that i'm trying to sort through in my head as opposed to I've got this one thing that I am trying to do when I go up there and knowing that that gets him right. And it's the way that you do it, too. It's like um, we have so many coaches, like our AAA guy, Corey Hart's tremendous at this, too, is keeping the mood light enough and to where the guys aren't taking themselves too serious in the heat of the battle, but then having this confidence within himself when he's presenting something to the players that when they hear it from him, one, they feel like he's right in it with them, and two, they feel so secure because he's so secure with what he's saying. So there is a little bit of this uh, placebo effect at times when like, you just want those guys to get results at that time. Like, yeah, there might be something that's going wrong with the swing, but we can't address that right now. Let's just get you back going and feeling good. And then tomorrow mm-hmm. before the game, we can start to work through some of this too. There's a time and place for it, but the way that sure. you present it, the way that it's brought to them, it's, all of it goes into it to, to go up there and just get your best swing off when you want to.
0: No doubt. No doubt. And, and so uh, again, for a different layer to that question, what about when guys have been struggling for, you know, let's say 10, 15 games and they come and they say, Hey, Hey Hunter, can you, can you help me with this? And, uh, where do you, where do you kind of start with that conversation? Do you, uh, I mean, just, just kind of walk us through that, because that's something I'm also curious about. It, it's different in-game than it is when you actually have time to work through some stuff, which I think is is so cool. Uh, but it is yeah. also adds a, another layer of complexi- complexity to our job. But w- what does that process look like?
1: So uh, I'll answer this a little bit. I think it's easier to answer it as the hitting coach, um, as opposed to the hitting coordinator. But um, because sure. yeah, cool. as the hitting coach, you, you're, you're in it with them, right? So you're in it and you're grinding through it and you're seeing the struggles, you're seeing the ups and downs. I think that process looks a little bit differently, obviously. Um, and it's, it's, you, you kind of set it up perfectly because if you are getting them at the point where they're saying, okay, what do we got? What can I do differently? What can I change? You've got them at a point that you've built up the relationship and the trust enough to where. They're ready to go. And I think the first piece then comes with okay, what are we struggling with? Um, and then it's this simple back and forth conversation. Okay, perfect. We're struggling with that. Okay, what are you feeling? What are you feeling at the plate that's not allowing you to do the things that you have been able to do? Okay, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. Okay, in the past, when you're going really good, what is it that you're feeling? It's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. Okay, so now we've created this conversation, this dialogue. And we're starting to build up this, this change model of, of what we're going through and how we're going to start to go through this process of needing to change and wanting to change things we want to. So we've had that conversation. So now it's we will most likely go to like video and watch video and pull up video and we'll watch. Okay, okay we're struggling with this, you said, right? And okay, let's watch some pitches. Let's watch some stuff from the side. Let's watch some stuff from the front. Let's break this down and we'll see where the breakdown starts in the swing. Okay, beautiful. We're starting to see it right here. Okay, now, let's look at when you were going really good. Is there a difference? Ah, uh, yeah, there is a little bit of difference, okay? But can we make a change back to that or do we want to take a step forward and say um that was great, but I still still think there's more. So from there it's okay, we've now without even getting into a cage, we've had the conversation and dialogue of everything that the everything that you need to know about the player. And then we started to diagnose it and started to come up with a game plan by watching the film. We haven't gotten the cage yet, but we've done those things. Now it's, let's go in the cage. Let's figure this out. And for the affiliate hitting coaches and hitting coaches that are on the ground floor with the players it's you have all this time and it's, it's, and I'm sure you've seen this, but if you just simply ask a player, um, like, Hey man, like, why don't you, and you're proactive with it as a coach too. And it's like, hey, come in tomorrow at, at one o'clock and we'll get in the cage and we'll work and we'll try and work through some stuff. That means so much to the players. It really does. Um, and they see it, man, they are they care about me. They care about my career and what I'm doing. So, And then getting to that point, so you've built up the video, you've built up the, the relationship, you've built up the plan. Now it's, okay, let's come to the cage early tomorrow and let's start to work. And now it's this this idea of let's experiment, let's do some different things. We kind of have an idea as to how we want it to feel. Let's match up what we want it to look like with how we want it to feel. And we'll go from there. One of the things that um, in changing, um, and especially I talked about us changing movements and changing setups, one of the things that we've found to have a ton of success with is just video delay. Um, and this is kind of always the start of the changes that we make, and the changes that players make is um, we now know if we start to look and we have this idea and this understanding of this is what it should look like, we'll set up an iPad with a video delay on it, it's like a three or four second delay, and we'll put it on the side. And the hitter has this idea of this is what it's supposed to look like. So they'll take a swing, three or four seconds later, the video plays, and they watch it and they're like, man, that doesn't look anything like I thought that felt. So it's like, okay, I know what it's supposed to look like. Let me change. Let me do something different. Okay. Boom. I take a swing three or four seconds later. I see it. I'm like, okay, that looks a little bit more like how I wanted it to look. Okay. So then it's the coach's job to say, okay, that's how you wanted it to look. Okay. Beautiful. We've got it now. Take me through how that felt. And they're like, well, I, I feel like my hands are like, I feel like I'm My hands are above my ear and I feel like I'm chopping straight down to it. And say, okay, well, if that's how it looks and that's how it feels, then we're gonna roll with that feel. Okay, so now we we've we're doing this back and forth action of of the video delay, feeling something, watching it, feeling something, watching it, matching it up. And now we've started to integrate this feel. And when we talk about being self-sufficient, that's that's the biggest. and the biggest key to this because now they've then taught themselves what it is that they need to feel and it's the coach's job then it's our jobs to then just facilitate the conversation to where they then understand what it is that they need so that's a it's a super long process obviously um but once we get to that point they've then started to make those changes and then through that process then as the coach let's say it was hands above or hands up chop down whatever it was. and then that's how you then have those conversations the start of the conversation in the dugout, too. It's like they come back and it's like, man, I feel out of whack. And you knew that when they were working, all they wanted to do was feel hands up and chop down, come to you. And it's like, man, hey, put your hands up, chop down. That's it. It's easy. it's Simple. Go out, go out and execute it. And, and because you spent so much time in the cage, because you spent so much time working with them to try and figure some of that stuff out, those conversations become a lot easier
0: yeah I, I love that and and sorry i'm i'm chuckling a little bit because it there was there was a video that came out with christian yelich uh i don't did yeah. you see it where he, where well, he did oh, an yeah. interview with with barry oh, yeah. bonds or he talked about barry bonds drill anyways for our listeners i don't, I don't want this to be an inside joke but you talked about chopping down and we've talked about this a couple times but uh there's there's a video and i'll link it in the show notes but essentially bonds was having Yelich. Uh, Chop down and try and hit the ball literally on top of the plate. And, and now he says that when, when things are going wrong, that's the thing that he goes to, which I thought was so super interesting because it's like, and, and then he also proceeds to say that bonds got in there and within like two swings, he was able to actually hit the plate, which is which is freaking crazy. But yeah. I, don't, I don't want to take too long, too long on that. But I, I thought I just whenever you started talking about hands up, chopping down, that's immediately what I thought of. And and, I, and again, it's that's really cool. But but I know you got to run, but I got a couple quick hitters for you and we'll um we'll this will kind of be our lightning section. So answer these. You don't necessarily have to answer them as fast as you can, but just, you know, just just some brief questions uh, about some yeah. different things that you're digging into. So the first question that I have for you is, what is the latest thing that you've learned that you're really excited about?
1: Listen, so my wife gets mad at me if I say I read, but I listen to the audiobook uh, Range, um, and we've got a little one too, but just this idea of experimenting and going from different things and learning as much as you can about different movements and different, just different pieces of life, um, that's the thing that I'm really intrigued by right now, and and from a learning standpoint within the organization, something that we're really digging into as well.
0: Fantastic. Now, this this question, it's, it's a little bit, it's it's tough to kind of explain, but we all know what the answer is, or, or at least something that comes to mind. But what's something that you guys do in training or you do in training, whether that be with the Blue Jays or, or elsewhere, that you know that the players love? So you've got like one drill or one competition that, that if you brought it to the field, uh, t- tomorrow, which I wish, if you brought it to the field tomorrow, you know that the players would be so into it.
1: So we 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 any sort of competition, any sort of competition that we can do and we can set up is probably the best. Um, we've, whenever we we bring out the rap or we've got a hit tracks that we had in one of our camps last year, setting that up and actually playing a game and working through a game with them. Um, that is like, it seems without failure, it's something that guys get so excited about and hyped up with that. It's something that we try and do as much as possible. Cause I think competition is something that we love. So um, I would, I would, it's simple. It's easy. Um, it's competition to get guys, gets guys firing. And if you set up the parameters and the constraints the right way, you're going to get something out of it too.
0: I love it. And last one is what is your, what are some of your favorite books and resources? I know that, that you mentioned range already, but uh, are there any other ones that have helped shape your coaching career?
1: Um, so I think Instagram and Twitter, I think are huge pieces and I've built up relationships with people through that. Um, in terms of books, like, like man, my, my library of what I've learned and what I've what I've picked up on in college was huge. And when I was getting my master's in sports psychology, I think like where I would find, um, where I would find some of the best information was just in some of the counseling psychology books that I would read that had nothing to do with sport, nothing to do with baseball. Um, So those were some like even some textbook stuff that was, that I read way back in the day. Um, But range is, and I just, it's just my recency bias of, what I've most recently listened to and, and read, but range is something that, that I've, I've been really into and really engaged in. Um, and then podcasts. I love listening to podcasts cause I, there's one, there's, there's, it's one thing to just read something. Um, it's another thing I think to hear somebody kind of explain it and talk through some mm-hmm. of their trials and tribulations of, of the things that they've done. I, I really enjoy doing that. And into, I think <laughs> the good old, uh, telephone and just reaching out to somebody and and talking to them and asking them like what they've done and what's worked for them and what hasn't worked. I think that's still probably the best way to do it um, because you're going to get some real life experiences that have worked.
0: I love it. And so what I'm going to do is, is I know you have to run, I'm going to link your uh, Twitter account in the show notes. So if there's anyone who, who wants to get in touch with you that could uh, probably do that there, I'm assuming. Um, And then uh, just, is there anything else? I'm going to open up the mic for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Uh,
1: I think the biggest piece, uh, and I get asked this question a lot by, um, young coaches and, and a lot of times parents too, of, of players. I, I think like one of the things that we as, as a hitting society do way too much of is overcomplicate over and it, and it happens with all of us at some point or another. And I think the more and more we get into all of the data, the more and more we get into all the tech and what's going on on Twitter, what's going on on Instagram when it comes to the swing, I think the more and more we as coaches, then we start to question ourselves and we start to become a little bit skeptical of what we believe and what we don't believe. So I would say that like, to any coach that's out there, to any parent that's out there, it's like, Put the kid or put the player at the very center of what it is that you're doing, and then work from there. Um, I, I think we too many times just try and look for the what we try and look for that magic pill that is that one thing that's going to help a hitter that's going to get to the big leagues or help a hitter that's a young kid, if you're a parent, to get to whatever it is that they want to do. And there's no there's no magic formula. There's no magic pill. It's it's, it's different for everybody. It's different for all the kids. I, I think like the one thing that I would then continue to say is is enjoy what you're doing and and if you can create an environment you can create a culture within your small group whether it's your parent creating the the environment the culture to have fun and enjoy it so they keep doing it or whether it's in in the big leagues and you're creating the environment to where they want to come to the cage they want to have conversations with each other every day then do it because that's going to keep them coming back that's going to keep them wanting more and and if you've done that um, at any level you've done your job Um, and so I would say that I think like we overlook a lot of that way too much and we get so consumed with mechanical pieces of it. And the swing has to look this way. It has to start this way. It has to work this way. It's not always like that. And I think to get past that point is, is challenging because there is so much information out there. And I, I tell people all the time, if I was a hitter right now, because I, I am so curious about stuff sometimes is I would have a hard time deciphering through if I'm going through and looking at Twitter, Instagram, I would have a hard time deciphering what it is that really works for me and what doesn't work for me. Um, And I would need a coach to help me kind of decipher some of that. Otherwise I would be completely lost. So I think like for the coaches to, to put the player first, create the environment, create the setting. And I think everything else would be successful.
0: Thank you for listening to ahead of the curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.